I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 this evening, and we're going to be looking in God's Word together. Jeremiah chapter 20. Yesterday morning, we talked about restoring intimacy with God. That's the key to revival. And I want to remind us of something tonight. Revival is for the believer. Revival is for the believer. The word revival means to live again. So you can't live again if you haven't first been made alive. And so revival is for the believer. And just like David in Psalm 51, where he, when he found himself living in unrepentance, though he was saved, he had lost the joy of his salvation. And as soon as he confessed and repented and ran back to Christ, he got the joy of that salvation back, and therefore he was walking in revival. And then he says this, he says, Lord, as I walk in renewal with you, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted into you. That's spiritual awakening. You see, the lost need to be awakened to their need for Christ. And the lost in Winston-Salem and around the world will not be awakened to their need for Christ unless Christians that are walking in revival and living in the abundant life go and share with them in the power of the Spirit by the Word of God, the good news. And so your pastor has decided to set aside a few days of meetings to help us as a congregation walk in spiritual renewal. But you know, I've been reminded tonight, it's hard to be revived if you're overwhelmed with discouragement. If you're overwhelmed with discouragement, it's hard to want to keep on keeping on. I've been reminded lately, the devil wants to beat the hope right out of you. Isn't that interesting? You know, if once you're saved, the devil can't have your salvation, he sure would like you to be overwhelmed with discouragement, and he wants to steal your service. I was reminded not too long ago that out of 400 men listed in the Bible, only 80 finished well. The devil wants to beat the hope right out of you. I had a friend tell me recently, true story, he said he walked into a doctor's office and he was sitting there in the waiting room and he was sitting there just reading a magazine, waiting on the doctor to call him back. And you know, doctor's offices are usually pretty quiet and maybe there's a little background music and people are just waiting to be called back. And he said, I was sitting there and he said, all of a sudden this woman walked into the doctor's office and she walked up to the front desk and the nurse behind the desk looked at her and said, hey, can I get your name? Can you check in? And the woman just went off. I mean, just unloaded. Like everything that she felt that day that was negative, she let that nurse have it. And there was no reason for it. She is screaming. She is hollering. They were trying to get her calmed down. Uh, all of a sudden, people are coming to the front desk from behind the desk. They were getting ready to call security. And, and my friend said he was just sitting there watching this going, what in the world is going on in this doctor's office? And what is wrong with this lady? He said about that time, a doctor stepped out down the hallway, walked up to the lady, and just as calm as he could, he looked at her and he goes, ma'am, can you calm down just for a second? She stopped screaming. She looked at the doctor, and he asked her this question. He said, where does it hurt? And immediately she started to cry and knelt down on the floor sobbing. And you know what? Tonight, I got a question for you. You may not have come in here hollering and all those kind of things, and thank you for, if you are feeling like that, not doing that. Pastor really appreciates it. But maybe tonight you're hurting. And maybe it's been a while since someone just looked at you and said, I care enough to ask you a question. Where does it hurt? 
You know, we all struggle with discouragement. In fact, after we get saved, the devil is out again to steal your service. And he does that by distracting you, by discouraging you. Obviously, he tempts you. He seeks to depress us. And we're in good company if we find ourselves in that category because all throughout the Bible, we see some of the great prophets and men and women of God get very discouraged. Elijah got so discouraged he wanted to die. And sometimes I am really encouraged by that. You say, how, why are you encouraged by that? Because I've been so discouraged. There's been some times I'm like, my goodness, I just want to throw in the towel. And then I open my Bible and find out that there can be a man who called down fire out of heaven and he felt the same way. Then I come across a guy named Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet. <laughs> he laments and he weeps over the condition of God's people and the judgment that was coming upon them. But Jeremiah got so down and discouraged because every time he preached God's word, they wanted to kill him. They were persecuting him. They were throwing him in prison. He got beat 40 stripes. They put him in stocks, disoriented his body, left him there all night long. And every time he opened his mouth, people didn't clap. People didn't say amen. They persecuted him. And Jeremiah got so down in the dumps, he just wanted to quit. And tonight, that's where we find ourselves. Look with me, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. After a night of spending all night long in the stocks, Jeremiah said this to himself, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. I mean, this is not good. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder. In other words, I preached the word of God and what God told me to give because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. I got so down about it, I said to myself, I'm not going to make mention of God anymore. I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I heard many mocking. Hey, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All, notice that word all, all my acquaintances. I mean, Jeremiah has got no friends. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling. Everybody's wanting me to fall, saying perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. I want to end with verse 11. But then Jeremiah says, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Now, I know we just read a big portion of Scripture, but let me just make it as simple as I can because I am very simple and I need to grab it quickly. What I see going on here in the passage is a man who is talking to himself, listening to himself, and then going back to talking to himself. You say, what does that mean? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, he put it this way. He said, if you listen to yourself, you'll go crazy. But if you talk to yourself, you'll stay alive. I want to repeat that one more time. If you listen to yourself, you'll go crazy. But if you talk to yourself, you'll stay alive. Now, sometimes we think the quite opposite. We think, man, that guy over here, he's talking to himself. What's wrong with him? I'm going to suggest this. Keep talking to yourself, but stop listening to yourself. <laughs> sometimes my kids, they'll see me come across the church parking lot after a service, and I'm doing something like this. 
and, and I'll get in the car, and my little girl will look at me, and she goes, what are you telling yourself, Dad? I said, well, I'm telling myself this, and she'll laugh, and I'll say, honey, anytime you don't see me talking to myself, that's when Dad's in trouble. You say, what do you mean by that? You've got to keep preaching truth to yourself because you and I hear so many lies. I get up in the morning, my worst enemy is the person I look at in the mirror, and if I'm not careful, I mean, there's some mornings I wake up and I'm like, how come the devil left seven billion people on planet Earth and decided to come and sit on my face? Anybody ever feel like that? Sometimes we get up during the day and we hear so many lies, we, we hear so many things to discourage us, and we're like, where is this coming from? What is going on? That's what's going on with Jeremiah. He's hearing lies within, he's hearing lies from the outside. The whole world's coming against him. In fact, the moment you get saved, you, need, you and I need to understand we got three enemies. We got the devil who seeks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's not a very pretty picture. We have our old flesh that still tempts us. We're not supposed to live by feelings. We must live by faith. Our feelings are very deceitful. And we live in a midst of a sin-cursed, broken world that is completely anti-Christ. I mean, I, I would suggest that unless you work for a Christian organization, very few of you went to work today, and your boss gathered all the employees together and said, today, whatever we do, we're going to do for the glory of God. Most people are not hearing that today. Why? We live in an anti-Christ world. And so we've got all these noises coming against us, telling us anti-Christ things. And I want to suggest this to you tonight. The best way to overcome discouragement is to stop listening to the lies and to preach the truth back to yourself, because that's what Jeremiah did in this passage. He's got nobody, it's just he and God. He's been in the stocks all night, he's been in prison, he's been beat. It's not like he has a friend he can call. You know, if I got super discouraged, praise the Lord, I got a godly wife. I don't see that Jeremiah's got that. I've got some godly friends. I can call Kivet and say, man, Kivet, I am so discouraged, and I got a godly brother that will pour back into my life. Jeremiah doesn't have that. And I don't know about you, have you ever had those times where you're so discouraged that even though you had the church, even though you had godly friends, you were made to feel so alone, you didn't feel like you could call anybody? And the devil, the devil loves to get us in those places where we feel all alone. In fact, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, though the disciples taught big before the crucifixion, Jesus will never leave you. The Bible says this, they all forsook him and fled. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, one time he was on trial and he said, nobody stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. Jeremiah has got no one but God, but praise God, with God, we got all we need. And so he's preaching to himself, he's listening to himself, and he slumps into depression, and then he preaches to himself and comes back out of it. And you're seeing that go all throughout the passage. Let me suggest this to you. In verse 7, he's preaching to himself. In verse 8, he's listening to himself. In verse 9, the first part, he's listening to himself. He's saying, I'm going to give up. Ministry's too hard. I quit. And the last part of verse 9, he preaches to himself again. In verse 10, he's listening to himself. And in verse 11, he's preaching to himself. In other words, he's fighting discouragement. 
But the grace that God gives Jeremiah is the same grace you and I need to also fight the discouragement. And here's the thing, someone once put it this way, you're either getting ready to go into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial, and that's just life. Anybody know anything about that? That is like the circle of life. You're going into trouble, you're in trouble, or you're coming out of trouble, and the next thing you know, more trouble's coming. And Jesus has already told us the truth about this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome it. Well, Jeremiah is facing that trouble, and it's a specific trouble that comes from being faithful to the gospel. And tonight, I want to suggest three things to you. If you walked in here tonight and you say, hey, praise the Lord, I came to the revival meetings tonight or the renewal meetings, but deep down inside, I want to give up, then this message is for you. And by the way, since COVID, Barna statistics tell us that over 32% of pastors want to quit. So if the shepherds of the flock are wanting to quit, I don't, know that, I don't know where that leaves the flock. And by the way, since COVID, I don't know if you've noticed, but in churches all over America, a third of the people haven't even come back. So if there was a message for a time of, do I feel like quitting? Tonight we need to hear, don't you dare quit. You've got every reason to keep on keeping on. What should you do tonight if you're discouraged? Here's the first thing I want to encourage you. Don't listen to yourself, but preach this to yourself. You need to preach to, the re- you need to, preach to yourself the reality that God has called you. That God has called you. Now, I've got three simple points tonight, but they have been life-changing for me. And every time I get down in the dumps and discouraged and think I'm ready to throw in the towel and I feel all alone, these are three things that I've got to preach to myself, and that's what I see Jeremiah preaching. You say, where does Jeremiah say that? Look with me in verse 7. He said, O Lord... You induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and you prevailed. You say, what does he mean by that word induced? It means you called me. Lord, you called me into this ministry. I didn't make myself a prophet. You made me a prophet. Lord, you saved me by grace through faith, but then you called me to yourself. You called me also to a specific area of ministry. You called me to be a prophet. Well, it's hard to be a prophet. Because when you share God's Word, there's parts of God's Word that are not popular. Telling a lost world that you're sinful and on your way to hell, that's not a popular message. And Jeremiah is called to preach judgment against God's people because of the rebellion. And so he has to remind himself, wait a second, God, though I feel like quitting, I can't quit. Why? You called me. Now here's what I want to suggest to you tonight. Every person in this room who knows Jesus has been called in two ways. First of all, you've all been called to salvation. Every one of us, if we're saved in here tonight, I want you to go back in your mind right now and remember the day you got saved. For me, that was back in 1984, 1985, somewhere in that time period. Go back to when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and here's what I want to suggest to you. You responded to the call of the gospel. You don't call on the one of whom you've never heard. But there came a day where you heard the good news. Someone told you that good news, or you read that good news, and the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin, your need for a Savior, and God called you to Himself. You heard the gospel call. You've been called to Him. Now, the Bible says that those of us who are His, we're now His forever. 
We're all called to full-time Christian service. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you full-time. In fact, the Bible says that those who are Christ no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. So whether your vocation is a preacher or a plumber, if you're in Christ, you are His full-time. You've been called. Now, you know, on Sunday morning, I picked with y'all, and I said, there's certain times where you need to say amen, let it be so. That was one of those times. One, two, three. Amen. amen. Oh, man, y'all do know how to say amen. But there's a second way you've been called. You've been called to ministry. In pastoring for 25 or 26 years, that in no way makes me an expert, but I've been in the church not only as a pastor for 25 plus years, but even before that, I was in the church my whole life. And I have lost count of how many believers sat in Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches that heard sound preaching all the time. And for years, I mean, people that have been saved longer than I've been alive walk up to me and go, yeah, pastor's called to ministry, and that's what we pay him to do, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to do, but I enjoy coming and sitting and listening and leaving. And I'll just be honest with you, I have moments where I start boiling, and I'm trying to figure out if it's righteous or unrighteous, can I just run something by you real quick? You will not find a single verse in the Bible that says Christianity is a spectator sport. This is not a spectator event. I mean, find one verse in the Bible that says, Jesus Christ shed his blood to save you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. He saved you to himself so you can come and sit in a pew for an hour, sing the songs, listen to the message, go home at lunchtime, criticize it, throw some money in the plate, come back next Sunday, and call it the Christian life. You won't find one verse in the Bible like that. But that has inundated American churches. God's called every one of us to ministry. <laughs> Wait a second. That's what we pay pastor to do. Can I run something by you real quick? I don't care how much you pay pastor. Pastor cannot be the whole body. That's why God made a body. Pastor doesn't have all the spiritual gifts. I've lost count of how many believers have come up to me and go, man, I've been saved for 30, 40 years, but I've never bothered to figure out what my spiritual gift is. The day you got saved and the Spirit of God came in and dwelt you, not only did you get God, but He gave you gifts. Why did He give you those gifts? So that as you're filled with the Spirit and fulfilling your marching orders and you do your part in the body of Christ, it comes together as one to edify the body and to advance the gospel. Everybody has a part. You've been called to ministry. But man, I've heard every excuse in the book on why people have quit. Not just pastors, church folk. Well, I, don't, I used to do that back in the glory days, but I'm, I'm, I'm retired now. Well, I want to just tell you, if you're breathing, you're not retired from Christian service. I'll tell you when you get to be retired from Christian service, when you go to meet Jesus. And then I'm not sure you're going to be retired. I think you're going to get a whole brand new service. Anybody ever heard that we're going to reign with him? Let me tell you why I have to remind myself of this. There's been so many days I've been down in the dumps, walked across the church parking lot going, man, alive, tomorrow I'm resigning. This is just too tough. Oh, my goodness. And, and I want you to know something. One of the great, I, I've been a pastor for 25 years. Now I get to serve as an evangelist. And, and one of the things I, 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 can, I can get by with some stuff like 
going to churches that I couldn't get by with as a pastor. And even though I'm close to your pastor, I just want to help all of you real quick. The more you help your pastor, the more you help him help you. But if your pastor's discouraged all the time, guess what? That's going to come out on you. And if you're discouraged, it's a, it's a cycle. We're a body, and it takes a family to care for a family. We need to build up pastor. Pastor needs to build us up. But here's the thing. There are times where just one discouragement can overwhelm a pastor. There might be all this good going on, but this one discouragement, this one negative comment, this one slam, man, it can just, Wow. There's times I've walked home and I'm like, though we had a great day at church and people even got saved. One person walked up and just started complaining about something. And that's all I thought about when I went home. And my wife looks at me and said, what's wrong with you? You're listening to yourself. I'm like, I know, but so-and-so, blah, blah. And she's like, stop it. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, but you don't understand. Next thing you know, I'm down in the dumps. And you know what God wants to do at that moment? He goes, hey, you have, you've been called. Stop that. I know I forget, I traveled with Encounter for a year right out of high school, and then I went back to my home church there in Denton and started youth pastoring and uh, became a student at Piedmont Bible College, but I hadn't completely surrendered that first year to what God had called me to do, and he was calling me to be a pastor, but I was wrestling. In fact, you're going to laugh at this. I was wrestling on whether or not to go into politics or pastoring. I was wrestling with this. And I know I forget one Sunday morning, I'm telling you, this is the honest truth. I, I, I'd come off encounter, I was a student at Piedmont, I'd beg my pastor, hey, how can I help at church? I, I, I wanted to serve, and he said, hey, you can help lead music, you can help with the kids, and you can run the soundboard. I didn't know anything about running a soundboard. But I never forget one Sunday morning, I'm sitting back here at the soundboard, and, and uh, back in those days, you had the cassette tapes, and you're recording the service, and then the cassette tape was stopped, and you got to take it out and turn it around, and everybody looks at you while you do it, and I'm turning the cassette tape around. I don't even remember what the pastor was preaching on. I just remember this, towards the end of the service, God just overwhelmed me with, how long are you going to keep wrestling with what I'm calling you to do? You need to surrender. I know we'll forget that day. I mean, it was like, it was just as clear as it could be. Now, hardly no one ever came forward at our church, because if you came forward, that meant something was wrong with you, and since nothing was wrong with any of us, like forever, you just didn't do that. And I know we'll forget, I knew I had to come forward and make that public, or I would not move forward with it. I mean, I just knew. So I got up during the invitation, now no one ever came forward at our church. We sang our surrender all the time, but like, we were lying, but we sang the song. And if anybody came forward, it was like, oh my goodness, somebody's got a problem. You know, it just, it's great stuff. And so that Sunday, I mean, I knew, God, I've got to surrender today. Today's the day. And I got up and I came down the aisle and my pastor is leading. I surrender all. And he looks over at me like, and everybody in the room was going, and I walked up and I I never forget. I looked at him and I said, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm coming forward. He said, what for? I said, God's called me to be a pastor, and I've been wrestling with it, wrestling with it, and today I'm surrendering. I got to surrender today. He goes, oh my goodness. He goes, I never forget to go to him. He goes, what should we do? I'm like, I don't know. You're the pastor. (laughs) Why do I tell you that story? Because I can't tell you how many days I've had to go back to it. There's been many a days I want to live by my feelings and not by faith. There's been many a days the devil wants me to forget my calling. Shortly after that time, my grandparents came to me and said, Mark, we hear that you've answered the call of God on your life to be a pastor. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we need to tell you something we've never told you. 
I knew this part. When I was born, I was born at seven months, two months early. My lungs had collapsed. They told my parents I was going to die. I was born over in Thomasville Hospital, and they transported me right here to Baptist Hospital. And they told my parents to hurry up and get there. They said, he's probably not going to make it through the night. And I made it through a night or two. And they said, we're just not sure how this is going to look. And I ended up being over in Baptist for two weeks. They tell me that my grandfather went to our pastor at the time and said, you're going, he didn't give him an option. He said, you're driving from Denton to Baptist Hospital. You're going to pray over my grandson. This is my first grandson. You're going to pray over him. So he got the pastor. They came up. I didn't know this. They told me that my grandpa walked into the, the nursery area and he didn't know who I, like which baby was his grandson. And they, he said, where's Mark Hopkins? And so the nurse pointed me out and there's tubes all over the place and ventilators and all this stuff. And he looked over the pastor and said, now you pray for him. The pastor prayed for me. And when the pastor finished praying, my grandfather looked over the pastor and said, now I'm going to tell you something right now. Not only is he going to stay alive, he said, God's going to call him to be a preacher. They had never told me that until after I surrendered at 19 years old. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back to that. Now, I didn't tell you that story tonight to get off on me. I want, I want you now to reverse that on you. What has God called you to do? And do you remember when he called you? And are you staying true to the calling or have you forgotten about it? Because God has called all of us. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you with tonight. When you're overwhelmed with discouragement and you're thinking about throwing in the towel, do what Jeremiah did. Not only remember that you've been called, preach to yourself that God has burned his word in you. Look what he says in verse 9. He said, like many of us, I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to make mention of God nor speak anymore in his name. This is too hard. I'm so discouraged. I've lost track of how many people have told me, I don't go to church anymore because Christians have treated me bad. Or I had a bad church experience and I'm done with this. Well, here's the thing. We've never been told to fix our eyes on people, but we have been told to fix our eyes on Christ. And so Jeremiah said, I'm down in the dumps. He's listening to himself, and then all of a sudden he preaches this truth to himself. Wait, I can't quit. Why? Because God's word is in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it back, and I cannot. I love that verse. You know, you know what Jeremiah's saying? God, my feelings want to quit. My flesh and my heart fails. I want to throw in the towel, but I can't. Why? Because your word has changed my life. Your word has been deposited in my heart. Lord, those times I sat on the couch in the morning with an open Bible and said, Oh, Lord, I want to meet with you today. And I'm sitting there reading and meditating on your word, and your Holy Spirit illumines the word. And I'm about to jump up off the couch because your spirit shows me something new about yourself and deposits your word in my heart and life. And it begins to burn. Why does God's word burn in our hearts? Because our God is a consuming fire. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, where are the Christians with the burning hearts? John Wesley said this. He said, I love to so preach on fire that people come to watch me burn. 
I love what the disciples on the road to Emmaus said. The resurrection had happened, and you got these disciples walking down the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden Jesus appears to them, but they don't know it's the resurrected Christ. And so he walks up to them in kind of modern-day Southern English. He looks at them and says, hey, what you fellows talking about? And they look over at him and said, uh, have you not heard? Did you not watch Fox News this weekend and see what's going on in Jerusalem? Uh, he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, the guy that they thought was going to be the Messiah was crucified on Friday. They tell us that the grave is empty on Sunday and that other people have come up out of the grave. The whole Jerusalem, the whole city is, is going crazy over this. Have you not heard about it? Then the Bible says Jesus looks at him and, and he begins to explain from the prophets in the Old Testament everything that pointed to him. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened, and they realized they were standing in front of the resurrected Christ, and then he disappears. And let me tell you what they do next. They go home, and they have dinner, and instead of roasting the pastor in the church on Sunday lunch, like we're the, like the critics, like it was a spectator thing, like the whole job of church was for us to come and give a critique, here's what they did. Did not our hearts burn within us? while he spoke the word of God to us. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I used to pray every Sunday when I pastored? God, when the people walk out the door, help them not to get off on other things so quickly. Like, I, I've been amazed. You get up and you preach your heart out by the power of the Spirit. We've worshiped Christ, the everlasting everything. The invitation comes and the Spirit of God's working. And within 30 seconds after the invitation, we're talking about whether or not Carolina beat Duke or Duke beat Carolina, whichever way you want it to go. And I'm like, how did we just worship the one who is everything, and within seconds we're already off on other stuff. And by the time we hit the parking lot, we can't even remember what was preached on. And by the time we go home for lunch, we're like critiquing the service as if it was something that we came to evaluate instead of participate in. God, burn your word in our hearts. That's what Jeremiah said. He said, God, I so want to quit. Everything inside of me is saying, throw in the towel, but I can't because I know what your word has done in my heart and my life. It burns within me like a fire. Tonight, maybe you find yourself discouraged. And I want to encourage you with this. If you're thinking about quitting, before you do, go back, open your Bible, and find all those places in your Bible where God has literally called the pages of your Bible to leap off the page into your heart and has transformed your life. And if God took the time to reveal his word to you by the power of his spirit, he's most definitely not done with you. And that word of God that's been deposited in your heart and the word of God that's been given to you so preciously, it is not going to return void and it has not been given to us so that we can quit this precious word has been given to us so that we remain faithful to the end. I want to close with this final point. Tonight, if you're discouraged, remember that God has promised you. Look with me in verse 11. Oh, man, everybody's coming against me. Everybody wants me to fall. But notice what he preaches to himself in verse 11. But... The Lord is with me as a mighty 
awesome one. You know the Great Commission? Go ye therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which he has commanded, and then listen to this promise for the church. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You remember that time David was so discouraged? The enemies had taken off with their wives and their children and burnt the city, and now his own mighty men of valor wanted to kill him? The Bible says, but David went and encouraged himself in the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is never leaving. Everyone else may fail. Everyone else may turn against you. But God is going nowhere. The Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. You know how Jeremiah is keeping on, keeping on, though he's being hit with waves and feelings of depression? He's reminding himself of the thousands of promises of God. Some theologians have estimated that you and I in the Scriptures have over 3,000 promises to the believer. Some have estimated 6,000. Some have estimated 8,000. I don't know how many there are, but there's a bunch. (laughs) And the promises are incredible because when God promises you, He cannot lie. And He'll keep every one of them. Tonight, I want you to hear some of the promises that God has given us that he will never, ever go back on. How about this one? Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's true no matter what you're going through. Tonight, as the team was sharing about some hardships, I counted while they were sharing how many of them have lost a loved one just in the past year, and it's half the group. Some of them have lost parents. And so I'm sitting there watching them and going, how come they got hope to keep going? It's because of the promises. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's a promise. How about this one? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's a promise. Here's one. And my God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even ask or think or have a prayer meeting about according to the power that works in us through Christ Jesus in his church and all generations. That's a promise. Here's one more. Christ will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. (laughs) Let let me put it in some modern-day English. Christ will build his church, and COVID's not going to stop it. That's a promise. Now, let me tell you, as we bring some things to a head, why this is so important. God says, now, believer, I've given you thousands of promises that no one can change, and I'll keep it every time. You can take it to the bank every time. And here's how I'm going to prove it to you. Here's what Paul said about the promises. He said, all, 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 all the promises of God to us are a yes in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. If God went through all the trouble to keep his greatest promise, you say, what was his greatest promise? It was this one right here. If God went through all the trouble to keep the greatest promise, then if he could take care of the big stuff, all these other promises or lesser promises, he'll take care of the little stuff. That's incredible. 
What that means is, is no matter what bad news you're facing, no matter what discouragement you're facing, unless you can get rid of the cross and the resurrection, you can't get rid of the promises because all the promises are tied into God keeping his greatest promise. Years ago, it was a promise that kept me going when I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I close with this story. Probably around 2007, 2008, I was youth pastoring in a church, been in ministry as far as pastoral ministry, maybe 10 years. Things of the church weren't going well. There was a lot of division, a lot of disunity. And by the way, how sad it is when there's this division and disunity in a church. It just sucks the life right out of it. There was all this division, disunity. Pastoral staff was, uh, there were sides, they were frustrated, and people were upset, and people weren't dealing with things biblically, and it's almost like the Spirit of God had left (laughs) our church at times because there was just so much quenching and grieving. On top of all that, I was dealing with a church discipline issue, and I'd had to care front someone over some sin, and they didn't handle it well. Next thing I know, I was getting all these emails. You're the worst pastor that's ever walked the face of the planet, and you're this, and you're that, and you're that. No one had given me the counsel, don't ever read an anonymous email, but I read every one of them. Then on top of that, as I was dealing with the church discipline issue, finally myself and a few pastors sat down and finally got the person to sit down and talk with us so that we could help them work through what was going on in their life. We invited the person and their spouse to come and meet with us, and the husband decided he wasn't going to come meet. And right when I started the meeting, my phone rang, and I picked it up. He said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said, if this meeting does not go the way that I want it to go, he said, you'll be in a wheelchair by the evening. Oh, that's interesting. And sure enough, somebody that night came and pounded on our front door, and I went down to the front door, and they left. And I don't know who it was to this day. So between all the disunity at church and the division and a form of godliness, but yet denying its power in our church and all this kind of small persecution that was going on in my life, on top of all that, my biggest problem was not those things. It was the lies I was hearing in my head. I'd been saved since the age of five, graduated from Piedmont Bible College, been a pastor now for 10 years, loved the Lord, was serving the Lord, walking with the Lord. But I woke up one morning, and I'm telling you, I had such a spiritual attack, and I couldn't shake it for six, seven, eight months. All day long, I kept hearing this lie, Christianity's not true. You're wasting your time. Quit. Are you really going to give your life to this? Is this worth it? All day long, like a heckler. And no matter how much I prayed, and no matter how much I read the Word, I couldn't seem to shake it. So in the midst of all this, it began to cave in, and all of a sudden, I started to shut down. And one night, it was our biggest night of youth group. It was like the fall kickoff night. I don't know, like 130 teenagers were going to be at church that night. I'm the youth pastor. I'm in charge. And I couldn't do it. I sat at my desk, and I just put my face in my hands, and I began to weep. And I was literally, I never felt this way before. I was shutting down from the inside out. I walked down. I looked at the interim pastor at that time. He looked at me. He goes, wow, you look really bad. He goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. He said, I think you should probably go home and get some rest. I said, I think you're right. 
I left church. I pulled into the driveway. My wife, she met me at the front door. And I never forget, she looked at me. First words out of her mouth was, did you quit? I was like, actually, honey, I don't know what I've done. True story. I walked in, I sat down in the recliner, and I stayed there for three days staring at the wall. I thought, I'm going to go crazy. This heckling that I can't get out of my mind, the stuff going on at church, the per, all these things that are going around, I feel so squeezed in, and I am collapsing from the inside out. I am so overwhelmed with depression, and I never will, I never will forget, around day two, I started telling myself, I will never preach again. It was so dark, and I hurt so deeply. Somebody from church called to try to encourage me, and, the str and just talking to someone was so stressful, my hands began to shake, and I told my wife, I can't take any more phone calls. And finally, one day, I did something that I would not suggest you do. It defies everything I've ever heard. In fact, don't do it, but the Lord knew what I needed. I knew I needed to get in the Word, but I didn't have the strength to do it. And though I'd been to Bible college and studied the Word, I, didn't, I, I mean, my mind was so worn out, I didn't even know where to go. And I picked up my Bible, and I flipped through the pages, and I'm like, God, you got to give me something. Now, they tell you don't do this because you can land on anything. You, that's not the way you should do this, but that's what happened to me that day. And all of a sudden, I came across this verse. And for about 10 to 15 years, I couldn't even say this verse without crying because that's all I had. And here it is. It's a promise. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, you will strengthen your brothers. I know I forget, my eyes landed on that verse, and God just arrested my attention. And I know that was a promise given to Peter, but at that moment, it was a promise for Mark Hopkins. Mark, Mark, Satan has asked to throw you around and turn you upside down. And right now it's working. But here's something you've forgotten about. I am praying for you. And it's not if you return, when you return, will strengthen your brethren. All I had to keep from going into full-blown nervous breakdown was a promise. And to this day, the promises mean so much to me. Because I heard one team member say tonight, I don't ever ask them what they're going to share, so I just kind of hear it for the first time like you. I love what Joey said tonight. If we lose everything else, we've got God. And that God that split the Red Sea is the same God that's called you to himself, called you to ministry, has burned his word in your heart, and has given you his promises. You shouldn't even think about quitting. You've got every reason to keep on keeping on. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? The pastor's going to come and close us as he sees fit.
But tonight, it's none of my business, but I, I would appreciate the privilege of just praying for you as he comes. Hey, uh, Mark, I am discouraged. And that's just all there is to it. I'm, I'm, I'm either publicly or secretly discouraged. But tonight, God has spoken to me by his word. And would you pray for me that I won't quit and that I'll be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord until he calls me home, not down in the dumps where I've been. If that's you tonight, I'd count it a privilege just to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up? Amen. Amen. Anyone else tonight? Amen. I'm praying for you. Anyone else tonight? I've been tempted to be discouraged. Amen. Amen. Maybe throwing in the towel or putting it in first gear. But God has spoken to my heart tonight. Anyone else like that this evening? Thank you for sharing. I count it a privilege to pray with you. Now pastor is going to lead us. If you will, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. Mark asked a question at the beginning that went along with his illustration. It was a very simple question. Where does it hurt? And as your pastor, I look out and I see people that I know where it hurts for some of you. I know some of the loss that you've experienced recently, some of the relationships broken, some of the ways in which you're even grieving for friends. And for many of you, I know without a doubt that has led to deep discouragement. I think tonight would be a great opportunity for us to just very simply identify God here's where it hurts so pray that right now God here's where it hurts for me then follow that prayer up with calling to God, reminding God, not that he's forgotten, but reminding God of the promises that he has made in his word. Maybe you can think of a, of a passage of scripture, a, a certain verse, something in his word that you can lay claim to right now and say, God, I know you have promised that you would never leave me or forsake me. Whatever it is, Pray that right now. Father, we are a broken people. 
That's what sin has done to us. But Father, we don't have to live in that brokenness. Because in Christ, you have made us whole. And even though we still have to deal with the brokenness of this world and the brokenness that sin has made on this world, Father, remind us over and over and over again to preach the truth of the gospel to ourselves. To be reminded of the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. To remember without a doubt that the same God who saved us is the same God who will sustain us. And you are the same God who will call us home one day where we don't have to deal with the brokenness of sin anymore. Father, for those who are dealing with deep discouragement, and Father, it could be in a situation, it could be in a, a Lord, a, a circumstance going on in their life, whatever that discouragement is bringing about that discouragement, Lord, I pray that you remind them over and over again of who you are. And Father, I think about Psalm 20, starting in verse 6, where David says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Father, we very simply remember the fact that we can trust in the name of the Lord our God because that name you have never, ever let us down. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the way that you sustain us. And Lord, we pray that we are reminded of that over and over and over again. Help us to preach the gospel to ourselves. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.